Church of Christ presents Forgiveness Takes Practice The Reflection by the Rev. Jean Randall Bodman Presented on Sunday, September 17, 2023 Please pray with me Holy One, make the words of my mouth And the meditation of all of our hearts Acceptable to you For surely you are our strength And our salvation Amen Last Sunday in the afternoon, I read through the lectionary text for the next week, as I do every Sunday afternoon. And usually, I do a little bit of research on them. But last week, I set them aside because I had an, an important appointment to keep. I had the joyful assignment of accompanying my not-quite-five-year-old neighbor to the playground on the corner. So it's an extremely important task. His mom was working on a project that involved power tools, and little Oscar was really sure that he was ready to operate them too. <laughs> so up and out, the two of us went down the street. And while we were there, we bumped into several families from the neighborhood. At one point, I was watching while two sisters were going down the slide. Now, I don't know their ages, but they were about the same size, and they went down a set of slides that were side by side. And when they got to the bottom, one of the sisters, and jumped off, one of the sisters flung her arms out exuberantly, smacking the other one very firmly on the shoulder. Shocked looks and sharp words were exchanged, and mom rushed over and immediately began to coach her children. Say you're sorry, be nice, make peace. I'm sorry, Sophie, here, let me rub it. That's okay, Emmy. Next time, just reach up like this, not out. And off they ran to try the even bigger slide on the other play structure. A little while later, these same two little girls were playing tetherball together. And, well, I was pushing Oscar on the swing, so I have no idea what happened. But they went from squealing happily to being loudly angry in the flash of a moment. Ouch! You did that on purpose. I did not. You did too. And so on and so on. Mom came rushing in again, admonishing, say sorry, be nice, make peace. Sorry. <laughs> it's fine. And off they walked. Well, stalked, really. It was easy to hear in their tone and to feel in the perfect straightness of their little backs and their crossed arms, that the one was not sorry and the other was not forgiving. I have been each of those girls, truly sorry, openly forgiving, unrepentant, hurt, and unforgiving. And I have been that mother, wanting the best for my children or my community or myself, and willing to rush in and rush over what has happened to get to the good part where peace is restored. Sometimes forgiveness flows from us just as it, genu as it did genuinely from little Sophie and little Emmy after they first went down that slide. Someone made a mistake no, with no harmful intention, no lasting harm was done. We can see and feel that the other person meant no harm 
and it's easy to let go of the moment. Restoration is sweet. Sometimes, and more often than we recognize, forgiveness is or could be that accessible and that available to us if we would reach for it. But not always. In the second case, when the well-intentioned, under that well-intentioned admonition of the mother, who I have also been wanting to rush to peace, she taught her kids not how to forgive, but how to fake a peaceful surface. Obviously, this was not a big deal. It was two little girls on a playground who clearly have a wonderful relationship and an attentive mom. But perhaps it was a small missed opportunity because real forgiveness takes practice. Because often in our lives, obviously, forgiveness is heavier and harder and much more complex than children in a playground because the harms we sustain are heavier and harder and more complex. That second go-round when one had, who knows what happened, but feelings were deeply hurt, might have been a good place to stop and practice acknowledging the hurt, waiting for repentance, working for forgiveness and reconciliation, and waiting if it wasn't immediately available. The steps to restoration are deeper and harder than just say sorry, be nice. It takes practice because it's difficult. It isn't meant to be easy. We need to cultivate a sort of muscle memory for it. And we have to have a habitual orientation towards extending mercy to ourselves and to other people. In the same way that when we watch people who are expert in their art, when we watch Simone Biles or Abby Wambach or Yo-Yo Ma, we imagine that they simply have talent, which they do, and they also have hours of practice and repetition of their art and their skill until the motions that, they, that look so fluid and easy and beautiful become natural and second nature to them. But they didn't start that way. In the same way, forgiveness can become natural and fluid to us, but it's not going to start that way. We who have been called into the beloved community and the kingdom of God need to practice forgiveness to get to that place of flow, where forgiveness will be vast and flowing, and where those who are free do not use their freedom to oppress other people. I saw a story on social media about a man who had um, recently gone through a divorce, and he was really quite miserable. He was very grateful for a group of friends he had around him, and he was mostly fine, but he could not let go of the bitterness he felt towards his former spouse. He was just so angry. And then one day at work, he didn't know why, he had to reset a password on his computer, and he worked at the kind of job where every time he moved away from the computer, when he came back, he had to enter the password again. It was that secure kind of place. So without really knowing why he did it, he changed his password to forgive her, so that over and over again, every day, he had to type those words, forgive her. And things began to loosen up for him a little bit, and so he added a picture 
of a group of friends that included her as his screensaver. And every time he typed forgive her, he saw her as part of his community of friends. And then finally he shifted and he added one more letter to the password, I forgive her. And every time he entered the computer, he typed, I forgive her, every day over and over, until it was true. He did forgive her. Something inside of him let go and he could acknowledge what had happened at the end of their relationship and be at peace with it and at peace with her and wishing her peace in the rest of her life. Sometimes forgiveness surprises and comforts and even delights us. Sometimes, if we are open to it, if we set the table for it, it arrives to us like a gift. We don't have to strain for it, but we do have to be open to it. And it can arrive like a gift from God. And sometimes it doesn't feel that easy or natural, no matter how hard we try to set the table inside ourselves. Because the pain is too great, or the anger is too encompassing, or perhaps because the systems that allowed the hurt to happen are still in place. The relationship hasn't shifted, or the cultural system that's causing the harm is still there. I was thinking about the little ones on the playground as I read and I reread Jesus's admonition to forgive, not just seven times, which, by the way, when Peter suggested that, he thought he was being really generous mm -hmm. because the law demands that you ask for forgiveness three times. So when he said, should I forgive seven times? He thought he was making a very generous proposal. Imagine his shock when Jesus said, no, not seven, 70 times seven. In other words, don't even count, just keep forgiving. I read that and I thought, that doesn't really sound like good news. <laughs> that sounds really hard. So I do what I, I do, and I went and I looked at a bunch of commentaries, and I want to share with you the work of a pastor named Debbie Thomas. Some of the words that follow are mine, but most of them are hers. And if they're especially eloquent, you can rely on them being Pastor Thomas's. She says, before we explore what forgiveness is, let's think for a few minutes about what forgiveness is not. And we saw this last week in the text that we read. Forgiveness is not denial. Forgiveness is not pretending that the offense didn't happen or that it doesn't matter or that it didn't hurt. It doesn't, forgiveness does not say that Christianity requires us to just let go of everything. Just let bygones be bygones. Push down your feelings, bring peace to the surface, and all will be well. That's not what the text says. Forgiveness is not acting as if things do not need to change, or assuming that because God is merciful, God isn't angered by injustice. On the contrary, last week we saw, if you remember, there was a whole text about how to deal with conflict in community. And there were steps you took, going face to face with the person, acknowledging the hurt, asking them to repent, and then taking two people, and then bringing it to the community, 
It wasn't a simple, I've been hurt, I'm going to shove down my feelings and forgive magic. It isn't that. The starting line of forgiveness is the acknowledgement of wrongdoing, of harm, of something real and profound that has happened and has hurt us. Whenever we talk about the need for forgiveness, we must begin by recognizing the naming and the extent of the brokenness. Why? Because we were created for good. We were created for love and equality and tenderness and wholeness. As image bearers of God, we were made for a just and nurturing world that honors our dignity. When we experience deviation from that basic goodness, it is appropriate and human and healthy and Christian to react with the, the horror of having been hurt. That is normal and good. And though we progressive Christians sometimes squirm away from this language and from this truth, one of the great gifts of Christianity, when Christianity is at its best, is that it takes sin and sin's consequences seriously. Sin breaks things and sin causes wounds. It lingers and it can echo down generations. And so forgiveness isn't an escalator that you go up and automatically get to the top. It's a spiral staircase and we circle and circle and we come back. And sometimes we can't tell if we've really gone up because we look down and things look the same. We keep seeing the same brokenness. But slowly, if we keep moving, our perspective changes, just like the gentleman with the password. Slowly, he shifted. Slowly, the ground of our pain falls away. And slowly, we rise. The second thing that forgiveness is not is a detour or a shortcut. The same Bible that calls us to forgive also calls us to mourn and to lament, to speak truth to power, and to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Forgiveness in the Christian tradition isn't a palliative. It doesn't just cover things over. It works hand in hand with the work of repentance and the work of transformation and making things new. In other words, there is nothing godly about responding to systemic evil with passive acceptance or unexamined complicity. All is not right with the world. As theologian and anti-Nazi dissident Dietrich Bonhoeffer warned, we must never allow forgiveness to degenerate into cheap grace. Now, right now in our cultural zeitgeist, this question of righteous anger is tricky because every headline, every news article that we look at is appealing to us to be inflamed, to get mad and stay mad, to anchor ourselves in righteous indignation and to move from that to scorn. So it's a tricky knife's edge that we're on because that's not, that's not what we're talking about either. As the image of Jesus cleansing the temple and this week's parable condemning hypocrisy makes known to us, Jesus was on the side of justice and he was not beyond human emotion. 
We don't need to beyond human, be beyond human emotion either. Jesus denounced the mistreatment of the most vulnerable and beleaguered people in his society. In other words, there is a time to respect our anger and to let it speak, and to let it speak out against injustice. There's a time to insist on change, a time to say to our culture, enough is enough. And maybe you need to say it in a personal relationship where you are being treated unfairly, repeatedly. Enough may be enough. But we also need to do that without feeding and inflaming and relishing our anger for anger's own sake. Anger is a tool to move us forward. It's not a place to go and live and dwell forever because it will hurt us. The third thing that forgiveness is not, it's not synonymous with healing or reconciliation. It's one step, it's not the whole thing. Healing has its own timetable. And sometimes reconciliation is possible and sometimes it is not. Sometimes relationships have to shift or end even when there is forgiveness as part of forgiveness and healing. A relationship has to shift or end. Sometimes people's very lives depend on severing ties with an offender, even as they forgive them and release them. They have to sever a tie. In this sense, forgiveness is not an end, it's just a beginning. It's an orientation, it's a leaning into the future. And where it will lead is not preordained, it's not decided ahead of time where this process of forgiveness will take us. This is always true, but it is especially true if we're thinking about marginalized communities. And this is a tricky thing to talk about for a predominantly white, for me as a white pastor and us as a predominantly white congregation, to call on others to forgive is a tricky place to be in when we are not the ones who have received the hurt. In white Christian America, it's too easy to think of forgiveness as the finishing, the culminating act, that it is redemptive, that we are now in a happily ever after ending to a story, to the long story of race-based violence in America. But when, for example, victims of racial hatred forgive their racist oppressors, they're not ending things, they're preparing their hearts to begin and to resist, to approach the battlefield of working for justice one more wearisome time. Forgiveness enables the oppressed not only to survive, but to lay down the cumbersome weight of hatred and bitterness and gear up for the fight for justice. Forgiveness is the beginning of the hard, joyful work of building God's kingdom. It's not the end. And finally, the last, the fourth thing that forgiveness is not is quick and easy. It is often not one and done like children in a playground. Maybe Jesus told Peter to forgive and forgive again, not because Peter got injured so many times, but because that one or two, that one hurt in the past came seeping back in over and over again. 
I'm sure I'm not the only one who has heard the words, um, if it's hysterical, if you're hysterical, it's historical. In other words, if someone harms you in what's really a pretty minor way, and you find yourself internally hysterical with upset, maybe pause and think, what's the history of this hurt? Have I been hurt in this way before? Is there an echo from my past that's getting raised up? And if there is, how can I breathe and release and go back to the forgiveness I have for that earlier hurt so that it doesn't become complicated with this current hurt? We have to keep on forgiving when old hurts get hooked and resurface. We have to sustain forgiveness. There are times when forgiveness does happen dramatically and instantly. We, we pray to God, we ask for help, and forgiveness lands gently like a mantle on our shoulders. But most of the time, we don't have that kind of cathartic altar call moment when the hurts of the past just slip away from us. Mostly, what we have is the daily business of learning to forgive slowly and repeatedly. A practice that, it, that is enacted one layered, unsentimental moment at a time. We don't need to romanticize forgiveness. We can just practice. So, if forgiveness is not denial or a shortcut or necessarily reconciliation, and if it isn't an easy process, then what is it? What exactly is Jesus asking of us when he tells us to forgive each other over and over again? In her popular memoir, Traveling Mercies, Anne Lamott writes that withholding forgiveness is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. Nora Gallagher writes about it and says, forgiveness is a way to unburden oneself from the constant pressure of rewriting the past. We want the thing that has happened to go differently, and it can't, and it's in the past. Forgiveness allows us to let that be. Henry Nouwen wrote that forgiveness is the name of love practiced among people who love poorly. The hard truth is that all people love poorly, and so we need to forgive and we need to be forgiven every day, every hour. Forgiveness is the great work of love among the fellowship of the weak that is the human family. Forgiveness is choosing to foreground love instead of resentment. If I become consumed with my own pain, if I've made my injury my identity, if I insist on weaponizing my even well-deserved anger in every interaction I have with people who hurt me, then I'm drinking poison, and the poison will kill me long before it does anything to my abusers. To choose forgiveness is to release myself from the tyranny of my bitterness. I want to say that again because it means a lot to me. To choose forgiveness is to release myself from the tyranny of my bitterness. When we choose forgiveness, we choose to trust that my longing for vindication and justice 
is known to the good God who loves me. To choose forgiveness is to send my hunger for healing into the heart of Christ, trusting that it will arrive. We talk a lot about unconditional love here in the Progressive Church, and I just want to remind us that when we focus on God's all-embracing love, that doesn't require us to relativize evil or pretend it isn't true. If we did that, that would be to make God's love cruel and weak and not compassionate and strong. We humans make love and judgment separate and mutually exclusive things, but two things can be true. Where we cry out for revenge and retribution and punishment, God holds out for restorative justice, justice that doesn't leave anyone hurt. It's a kind of justice that we can barely wrap our heads around, where the person who has done the harm is also healed. A kind of justice that has the power to heal both the oppressed and the oppressor. The oppressor is also harmed, and they also need healing. Forgiveness is also a transformed way of seeing. It's a way of seeing that is forward-focused. It doesn't keep looking at the past for what has been done and what is holding me back. It focuses us forward. God doesn't send us the bad things that happen to us. It isn't part of God's will or plan for our lives. But God does work with us in the bad things that have happened to restore us, to make blessing and wholeness out of everything that has happened, the good and the evil. God will be with us and meet us in those things to create wholeness out of them. Because God is with us, we can trust that our wounds will not end in brokenness and defeat. There will be another chapter, another path, and another grace. Because God loves us, we do not have to forgive out of scarcity. We can borrow God's abundance and forgive out of that. Not our abundance, God's, which is for us. Nadia Boltz Weber, a Lutheran minister who I know many of you um, have read and loved, after describing mistreatment as a chain that binds us, writes stunningly about the power of forgiveness to free us for the work of justice and the work of transformation. Here are Nadia Boltz Weber's words. Maybe retaliation or holding onto anger about the harm done to me doesn't actually combat evil. Maybe it feeds evil. Because in the end, if we're not careful, we can actually absorb the worst of our enemy and at some level start to become them. So what if forgiveness, rather than being a pansy way to say, it's okay, is actually a way of yielding bolt cutters and snapping the chains that link us? What if it's saying, what you did was so not okay, I refuse to be connected to it anymore. Forgiveness is about being a freedom fighter, 
and free people are dangerous people. Free people are not controlled by the past. Free people laugh more than others. Free people see beauty more than others do. Free people are not easily offended. Free people are unafraid to speak truth to stupid. Free people are not chained to resentments, and that's worth fighting for. As I let those words wash over me again and again, I pray for myself and for all of us that we will take up the hard work of forgiveness for the sake of a world that is quite broken and feels quite desperate. I pray that together we can loosen the chains that bind us, the chains that bind us as individuals, in our families and our friend groups and our work situations, and the chains that bind us as a culture. May we be free and loose, and may we rise. May we always pay forward the healing grace and forgiveness of God until God's beautiful freedom and justice reign. Amen. Listen, listen, listen.